0: Good morning. It's good to uh, to be back with you. Actually, today, I am the pinch hitter for the pinch hitter for Kyle. Uh, Dr. Sam Taylor was supposed to be here today, and uh, he's in the hospital. If you don't know, Sam was director of missions uh, for the Greater Boston Baptist Association, of which... New Colony Baptist in Ricka Kyle, um, uh, was our Director of Missions. Since then, he is now at the Baptist Convention in New England and uh, doing great ministry, but uh, found out a couple of days ago he's going to have to have some surgery. So you please keep him in your prayers. This morning, um, the title of the message is somewhat unusual. It's titled, What's an Alternator? There's no alternators in the Bible, but I hope you'll make the connection by the time we're done this morning with uh, God's Word and the message. So I want to start with a story. When I was in college, I went to Georgia Tech in Atlanta. I lived at home in Stone Mountain, commuted back and forth. About my junior year, it was spring... In Atlanta, it was a gorgeous, warm, sunny day, not a cloud in the sky. And a friend of mine, Mark, came to me and said, hey, I'm going flying this afternoon. Do you want to go with me? I said, yeah. So we go out to a regional airport called DeKalb Peachtree Airport. Mark's dad had a little business. They had this little four-seat airplane. Uh, Let me ask, how many of you have ever been up in one of those little small planes? Wow, okay, great. All right, so this is my first time um, in a small plane, and uh, we get out to the airport, to the hangar. Mark does the pre-check, we get in, plane won't start. Someone left the interior lights on, battery was dead. I was disappointed mark was even more so he was not going to let that defeat us going flying he flags down a guy on a tractor that pulls the luggage carts around comes to the hangar and we jump start the airplane now this is a freebie never go flying in a jump-started plane let me just say that (laughs) up front okay so we get in the plane we take off He gets up to whatever altitude he needed to be at. We level off. It is beautiful. You can see forever, not a cloud in the sky, bright sunshine, and everything was going great until it wasn't. And then I heard him say two words that you never want to hear from your doctor, your dentist, or your pilot. Uh Uh-oh. Can you say that with me? Uh, uh-oh, not good. So I asked him why he said that, and I wish I hadn't. He said, the alternator is dead. Now, I'm going to an engineering school, but I have no clue what an alternator is because I'm in the management college. I'm going to be the boss of all these engineers, so they need to know it, I don't, right? So he explains to me, Without the alternator, we have no radio. We Some of my dials do not work. The automatic landing gear does not function. But then he said, don't worry. He points to this little hatch between our two seats, opens it, and says, but I have a hand crank here to crank down the landing gear. Okay. That seems to be a little bit of good news, potentially. So we... We can't go back to the airport. There's too much air traffic without a radio. So we fly out to Stone Mountain, where I live. The little landing strip that he's going to was maybe three miles from my home. If I'd been smart, I would have just walked home, but my car was back at tech. So we get out there, and he lines up his approach to land. Now, keep in mind, this little landing strip, there's no fire engines. There's no emergency people. There's no people. There's a landing strip and a little building. That's it. This is before cell phones. So as he lines up for approach and we're coming in to land, he says, you need to know something. I was afraid to ask, but I did. He said, because I hand cranked the landing gear and the dials aren't working, I don't know if it's locked. If it's not locked, when we touch down, it's going to collapse, and we're going to slide down the runway on the belly of the plane. Please, you could have kept that to yourself. It was locked. We land, we taxi up to this tiny little building. But remember, we jump-started the plane. We cannot turn the engine off. He needs to go into the building, he knew there was a phone there, to call back to the airport to tell them we're coming in with no radio so they can give him light signals from the tower on where to land. He said, put your foot here, this is the brake, don't take it off. <laughs> I didn't want to be a pilot that day, so I pushed the thing through the floorboard. He gets back in the plane. We're at the end of the runway, we're accelerating down this runway, and he turns to me with one more piece of good news. He looks at me and he says, you know, this runway's really not big enough for this plane. At the end of our runway's a stand of pine trees. When we went up, if I had leaned down really hard, I could have touched those trees. We get back to the airport. Now, Mark, the line was busy at the airport. So he called the operator and had the operator break in on the line at the airport so he could talk to somebody about coming back. When we got back, the airport officials were waiting for him. And I'm glad I wasn't part of their conversation because they raked him up one side and down the other for even going up in that plane. So my suggestion to you is never go up in a jump-started airplane. It's not going to end well. Why do I share that story? Because we had a power issue, right? We had a power issue. Things weren't working. It made things more difficult. But we survived because I'm here. So we're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 13. And we're going to take a look at Abram and Lot. And one of them had a power issue in their life. So in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, "'The Lord had said to Abram, "'Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, "'and go to the land I will show you. "'I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. "'I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. "'I will bless those who bless you, and and whoever curses you I will curse.'" And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here was God's call on Abram. And as we look at this, just keep in mind that as a follower of Jesus, God's call is on you as well. His call is on you for 2024 and what your journey will look like. So let's take a look at what Abram is experiencing here. God tells him, pack up your family and go. He didn't allow the surrounding culture to influence his decision. He didn't make his decision on popular opinion. He didn't um, allow the fact that he didn't have all the details up front that would... would cause him to go, all he had was God said go. Family ties would not hinder him from going. Friendships would not keep him from this mission that God has for him. Abram decided to adjust his life to God speaking to him. And he wasn't perfect but his life was oriented towards the Lord. And God would be the one to empower him and would lead him into a future that he couldn't even imagine when God called him. How God was going to accomplish this was unknown to Abram. And even without all the answers, he dared to believe God and to put his trust in the Lord for this journey into the unknown. And that's exactly what we will have to do going into the new year. We don't have the game plan. God hasn't emailed us with a year-long plan of what we'll be doing, where we're going to be going, what he's going to do through us. We don't have that laid out. Abram didn't have it laid out for him. But he said yes to God's call in his life. And the Bible talks about some of these faithful servants. In Hebrews, a chapter that's sometimes referred to as the Hall of Fame of God's people who answered God's call in their lives. And we see the faithfulness of God all through the scriptures anytime God called someone to go, to be on mission with him. And Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God, points this out. He says, the person, who, the person must have a loyal heart full of trust and faith. God must have a person who loves him, with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. Anything less, he writes, is unacceptable to God for the carrying out of his purposes. Unless the person has such a heart, God would find that person arguing with him, rejecting the Lord, disobeying God, and ultimately straying from God. The eternal purposes of God could not be accomplished in such a person's life. Only a heart that is thoroughly committed to the Lord is acceptable to him. And Abram gives that commitment. And he reveals himself to Abram to invite him on a journey with many unanswered questions and unknowns. He has to leave everything that was familiar, his security. Family was a big deal in his day, extended family. And to pack up and to leave all that was unheard of. I wonder what God's going to be asking you to do for him in 2024. And will you be willing to go? without all the answers ahead of time. Dr. Blackaby observes, when God encounters a person such as Abram or when God saves a person, he has something big in mind. It's not merely so that person will go to heaven, although that, yes, that's part of it. It will include this, but God has much more in mind. Let God shape your mind so you can know him and his ways And his purposes fully. God tells Abram, pack up and go. He doesn't give him the destination yet, he doesn't tell him how long he's going to be gone, he doesn't fill in the blanks. Abram has no maps, no GPS. No smartphones and no Chick-fil-A's, but he goes. And here is the response of Abram. There's a book entitled Men of the Bible, and uh, I'm taking this quote from that book. We don't know how God revealed himself to Abram. We do know, however, that the experience ignited Abram's faith and trust such that He chose to leave the familiar and to walk towards an unknown future. When Jehovah appeared to Abram, told him to leave, the ball was in his court. What's he going to do? Is he going to argue with God? Is he going to stay with the familiar, with his friends and family? Or will he embark on this adventure, this journey with the Lord, all he knows is God said, go. That's it. What would you do in that situation? What if God came to you and you knew 100% that God was speaking to you and said, pack up your family and go? Go. And he didn't give you the destination. He didn't tell you how long you'll be gone. No information. But if you knew it was God, would you go? It's exactly what Abram did. Faith says, I trust God and I'm willing to adjust my life to him. Faith is acting on what God said, even when nobody else is doing so. Genuine faith will take God at his word. Faith is trusting God when it doesn't make sense to trust him. Walking by faith means you live in ways that are contrary to the world's ways. You have priorities that are in conflict with the world's priorities. You risk being misunderstood, ridiculed, made fun of, persecuted. How will you make your decisions? Who are you going to consult in your journey this new year? Who will you seek advice from? What's going to be the foundation for your life decisions? Can you imagine the talk around town when word gets out that Abram's packing up and leaving? People questioning his motives. People wondering if he's completely lost it. Has he gone crazy? Is he having a nervous breakdown? The whispers and the gossip behind his back. And all the while, Abram is doing what God has told him to do. He was risking his reputation to go. Charles Swindoll observes Abram demonstrated faith by moving into an uncharted course with one guarantee. God was with him. He writes, visit Abraham regarding faith and learn from him. It's important to understand the step Abram took in light of the fact that his culture trusted in many gods. This is just a little piece of background information for, to help you understand how big a deal this was for Abram to do this. You see, in that day, there were, people believed in a multitude of gods. And each god had its own area of, quote, expertise. Each god was over a certain geographical region. And so when you moved out of one region, you were moving out of that, quote, God's territory. But Abram, and it was saturated in their culture. But Abram dared to believe in the living God. The God who transcends boundary lines, who transcends geography, who is ruler of the whole world. And God and Abram steps out in faith to go. With a lot of unanswered questions. He dared to believe that Yahweh could be everywhere. That Yahweh would send him. As followers of Jesus, are we ready to dare to believe that God will be with us wherever He sends us in our journey in 2024? And the third thing I want to point out in this story is the power for the journey. Our plane didn't have the power, but Abram does, and Lot needs it and is missing it. In chapter 13 of Genesis, uh, verses 5 through 8, I want to read these verses to you as we continue this story. Now, Lot... He was moving about with Abram and had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you. And me are between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. The mention of these other two groups in the area, Abram became a little bit concerned that they would get wind of their Abram's herdsmen, Lot's herdsmen, were the ones that were in conflict with each other. Their herds were growing. The land wasn't going to be able to sustain them both in the same place. And the conflicts start arising, and Abram realizes these other groups may see the quarreling, the weakness there, and, and do something. And so Abram says it's time that we part ways. It's time that we go our separate ways and, um, so that there's no fighting, no quarreling. We're not putting ourselves at risk, and we can go where we need to be. The land just didn't have enough resources for both men and all that they had. Their families and livestock. Lot had ridden the coattails of faith of Uncle Abram. And in chapters 12 and 13, we read of three occasions that are recorded for us where Abram builds an altar and worships God. Along this journey, we don't have one account of Lot doing that—not one. Just Abram. Three times that we're told of that he worship he he intentionally stops, builds the altar, and worships God. And then comes this incredible offer. From Abram to Lot. Now remember, God made his promise to Abram. But listen to what Abram does here. Is not the whole land before you? He's talking to Lot. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. In other words, Abram is giving Lot first choice. Abram had every right to pick first. But he allows Lot to do that. He gives Lot the opportunity to choose which way to go. Now remember, I have to stress this again. Lot is riding the coattails of Abram's faith. It would seem Lot has not internalized faith for himself. Maybe. Maybe. That seems to be a little more apparent in what happens. Verses 10 and 11 in Genesis 13. What looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, there's some foreshadowing for us. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. That little phrase, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, is putting a big shadow over Lot's decision and what happens in Genesis 19 when God destroys those two cities for their evil and wickedness. And when Lot looks out, he sees the bright lights of the city and says, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going to be. That's where the action is. I want to be part of that. Didn't even take time to pray about it or to ask God which way to go. He sees, he likes it, and off he goes with his family, his servants, his flocks, everything he has. The word destroy, where it says, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The word destroy that is used there is only used twice in Genesis, wants to describe the flood that destroyed the earth. In here, it's a very powerful word, it's the complete destruction of something, total annihilation. Lot's decision by not consulting the Lord by making his decision without the power of God at work in his life, is going to lead to catastrophic consequences for he and his family. The word evil is also used to describe the generation of the flood, and the term great sinners is only used here in these chapters. It's incredibly It means incredibly, overtly evil. It is rare phraseology that is describing the extreme seriousness of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's total depravity in these cities. Everything that is the antithesis of who God is. John Calvin, a theologian, wrote this. Lot, when he faced, when he fancied he was living in paradise, was nearly plunged into the depths of hell. And if you know the story, you know that later on, Lot loses his wife because she disobeyed the Lord and looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. Lot was captured by an invading army, and Abram had to go rescue him. And so, Lod's decision, based only on what he could see, created all this chaos in his life. He went to live in the midst of the most wicked cities on the planet because it looked attractive. This is an old saying. And you've probably heard it before, but it just rings so true. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you there longer than you want to stay. And it will always cost you more than you wanted to pay. Every single time. Satan's hook is to make things look attractive to us. And to hide from us the cost of that. And that's what happened with Lot. Remember, Abram built the altars and worshiped God? There's no account of Lot doing that. No consulting God about his decision which way to go. The Apostle Paul tells us, work out your own salvation in the book of Philippians chapter 2. It's verse 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This simply means, when God speaks to you, immediately adjust your life to Him. Immediately adjust your life to what God says to you. God will always have your best interest at heart. And when the Lord asks you to do something like moving your family without knowing where you're going, quickly, adjust your life. Fully rest in God's care and direction because his way for you is best. Even if no one around you is doing it, you respond to the call of God in your life. And God will give you the power And whatever else is needed for the journey. Abram came to experience the faithfulness of God in his life. He would learn that what God initiates, he brings about to completion. What God starts in your life, he will bring it to completion. He will do good work in you as you walk with Him and trust Him. God will bring into your life everything necessary to follow Him, to serve Him, to be on mission with Him. Whatever that looks like for you. And you will never become powerless when you are worshiping God regularly, taking in His word, and trusting Him for each day. Lot acted impulsively, he did not consider the ultimate consequences of his decision. He made no attempt to discern God's will in that matter for his life. And when Abram turned him loose, he was all on his own. His alternator was dead. He did not have God's power at work in his life. And the decision he made to live in the most wicked city on the planet would end up costing him his wife, and his freedom for a period of time. We need to learn from both Abraham and Lot. Billy Graham writes, a friend of his told Dr. Graham about an unbeliever who came to Billy Graham's friend and asked the friend, If I become a Christian, if I get born again, will all my problems go away? No, the friend said, but you will have the power to deal with them. God will grant us his wisdom, his courage. He'll provide the resources. He will carry your burdens. And he will never leave you on your own to fend for yourself. Power is critical for our existence, for an airplane, for a car, a boat, for our homes, our appliances, our 5,000 portable devices. We need power. We need even more power for doing life God's way. It's critical. We don't need to navigate this life, go through difficulties and challenges on our own. We don't need to try to deal with temptation on our own. We need a functioning alternator We need God's power. We need to be connected to Him. So let's let's be like Abram and nurture our faith in the Lord. Feed on His Word. Gather as you are today with other believers to worship. Engage in serving Him. And trust him for the journey he will have you on as we go into a new year. It won't always be easy. Hardships may come, temptations, unexpected crises, and also unexpected blessings. But stay connected to God. Build your altar to worship Him. Take that time each day to renew. There are so many ways to do that. I would just quickly mention to you U Version. How many of you know what that is? It's a Bible app. Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. UVersion.com. It's a free Bible app. You can read the Bible in multiple English translations and other languages. They have devotional plans. They have videos. It is just an incredible resource that's been downloaded millions of times around the world. It's a great place to, to have on your phone or your tablet or your laptop um, all you need To take that time with God each day and to focus on Him so that you can make sure you do not find yourself powerless in the midst of your journey in the coming year. You don't want to get up in your airplane and find out things aren't working right. Stay connected. To the one who can truly lead you and empower you and guide your steps in the new year. And I will tell you as we close that sometimes the things that God will ask you to do are going to be really hard. But I would also tell you from personal experience that when you step out in faith and do those hard things the faithfulness of God will shine brightly in your life. I don't have time to tell you what we went my wife and I went through several years ago. But it was about a two and a half year period of incredible challenges for us personally and the things that god was asking me and my wife to do truly did not make sense and if we had gone to to ask guidance from spiritual advisors they probably would have said no you can't do that but god was telling us to do it it was so hard and yet, God's faithfulness was seen by us every step of the way in those two and a half years. And God did incredible things in our lives as we were willing to trust Him with what we were facing you can trust Him also. Let's pray.